I am fantasy and paranormal romance author Leslie Penelope, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Saturday, February 24th, 2024, and this is episode 234 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. As a reminder, you can sign up for the Footnotes newsletter and get the show notes in your inbox for every episode, along with weekly-ish inspiration, strategies, and ideas to help you grow as a writer. That is available at myimaginaryfriends.net slash footnotes. When you sign up, you can also become an imaginary best friend for a few dollars a month. That gives you access to premium posts, which are long-form craft essays. You get quarterly workshops and discounts on my coaching and courses. So you can join me there at myimaginaryfriends.net for all of this and more. This week's best thing, I cracked the outline for my current work in progress. The book that I've been referring to as the Book of Secrets, I had an outline a few weeks ago. I mentioned sending it to my new editor, Arlie, getting really great feedback, and then sort of coming back to it. So if you are on the Footnotes newsletter, the last week's uh, issue, I mentioned the outline was not going well, or it wasn't going quickly. I had been just mired in the fog. You know, this is a story that has been 10 years in the making, and it's gone through many, many changes up until that first outline, first outline of 2024, let's say. <laughs> then I got the feedback and I'm like, oh gosh, okay, what is this story about? So I had to be willing to go back take it down to the studs again, and build it back up in a better form. So I did want to talk a little bit about that today. Like, how do you revise an outline? It's not a book. It hasn't, not, it's not a draft. It's not a full story. It's just the, the roadmap that you're going to use to get there. And since getting that feedback on the outline was helpful, and I think that it will save me at least one big rewrite, it's worth examining. You know, how did I get to a place where I recognized it needed a lot of improvement to feeling like I'm actually ready to write now. It's very similar to the process that I use to revise a novel, although it's not nearly as intense because I did this in about two, three weeks. I took the feedback that I got and I went through it and said, okay, what do I agree with? What, what don't I agree with? You have to analyze and evaluate your feedback. And the things that I agreed with, I was like, okay, how do I address them? It really involved putting everything on the table for revision, like going back to the studs, like I said, like ripping out the walls and the floor and everything and saying, what is the core of this idea? What is the thing about the story that I'm the most excited about? I talk about that in the imaginary world building class because it's a fundamental part of the process every step of the way, and especially at the beginning and when you know that there's problems. So I made a list of all the things that I didn't want to change, the core, the beating heart of the story. And the story came to me as a situation. You know, I talk about stories can come to you as a character, a situation, or a world. This was definitely a situation. So the characters have changed many times over those 10 years. And in the past few weeks, they changed a bunch. I went through different versions. Like, what if my main character was this? What if she was this? I, I changed her personality, her circumstances, The actions that she was going to take were going to be the same, but the motivations were going to change depending on the the version of her that I used. And at a certain point, I talked to my brother, who was my first reader, and 
he, he's been the one over these 10 years. It's like, you really have to get back to book of secrets. Like that's a great idea. It's a great story. You have to write that. And so I brainstormed with him some different ideas, what I was thinking about for this character. We talked for a long, long time. And at the end of that, I was like, not really any closer, you know, to figuring things out. And then I was thinking, maybe I just need some more time away from this because I was spinning myself in circles. I was doing so much that I was just losing the thread. You know, I had these pillars, these things I didn't want to change about the story idea, the things that really I thought were the most interesting and that I wanted to write the most. And everything else, I had no idea if I was going to keep it or leave it or throw it away, like how it was going to be. So it was basically like, maybe I just need some time because sometimes you need to step away from a project. I had stepped away for a day or two here and there just to give my mind time to process, but I was considering just putting this back on the back burning and moving on to this other idea that is gaining energy in the back of my mind. And that lasted for about a day. And then I got an idea. I think it was like right as I was going to bed, uh, I grabbed my phone and I started dictating into, I use Google Keep on my phone for all my notes. And you can do like voice typing in there or you can record voice messages. And I was just recording a bunch of ideas like, well, oh, what if it was this? And it was, I think it was based on some feedback that my brother gave me. So the Book of Secrets, the core concept is this paranormal thriller about a kidnapping. And I decided to set it in 1999. So Y2K is a portion of it. And the prevalence of the Y2K subplot has gone through lots of changes too. The core concept is a person gets kidnapped and then no one remembers her afterwards, the kidnapped victim, the kidnapped victim. And like sitting with that and wanting to see more of that in the previous outline I had, there wasn't enough of that. And that's actually the heart of the story. That's the pillar that I, one of the main pillars that I knew shouldn't change. So I was like, what if I have a time jump? And that was addressing his feedback. I could connect it to some of Arlie's feedback about the weaknesses in the character and the things that I still needed to figure out to make it come alive and feel more real. And then it was like dominoes falling. You know, I got that idea. I dumped a bunch of notes into my uh, Google Keep app. The next day I got up and wrote and just wrote notes, just brainstorming. What if this? What if that? Okay. How do these tendrils affect everything else? How do they affect the characters? I had added some characters. I had to take some characters away. I had to change some motivations, but it was really starting to come together and always connecting it back to that, those pillars of the things that shouldn't change, the story seed, the core of the idea that I wanted, and then using my intuition from there to try to feel my way through, writing notes to myself, like talking myself through it. And then eventually I just had to tell myself the story. So I just, usually I do that in bullet points and outline form, but this time I was like, let me try it as a synopsis, as more sentences. So it's, you know, it's a synopsis. It's not quite a story, but it's the summary of the story. So I was writing out every scene chapter as a paragraph and it started to come together. And then I would take a break and just bullet point things, come back, write them out as scenes, flush them out a little bit more. That gave me an idea of everyone's motivation, some of the character stuff, and the plot. And yeah, like I said, the dominoes were falling and it was just coming together. And eventually, by the end of this past week, I had a nine-page outline, or nine-page synopsis, which represents all the story. 
the beginning is a lot more fleshed out than the end, but I don't need to know the end now because if tradition holds true, when I actually write this thing, uh, the end shifts and changes depending on what I discover when I write the first half. But I think it's a solid ending. I know there's things that I don't know. There's, a, there's still some holes, and I think there should be some holes. Even though I am a plotter, I'm also a discovery writer. I discover as I'm writing, and I think that's an important part of the process. I don't want to overplot. And I don't know that I've done that, but I could see that being a problem or just being a waste of time because of every other book that I've ever written, the plot that I have written kind of falls apart a little bit, like to different degrees. But that's why the discovery inside of the plotting is still such an important part of the process. So yeah, I feel really good about what I have about the story. I think it's stronger. I was able to bring through some themes that I had discovered, some of the things that I had forgotten from many previous iterations of this idea, and tighten it. Cutting some characters helped. I had too much going on. And so I've left myself room, some space to you know, figure out if I actually need them back or or what's going on with those characters. Like they're still part of the story, but they're not on the page in this book. I also discovered that I, I need this to be a duology. So I was trying to do a standalone with series potential, but it's coming to me as a duology. And so some of that, some of what's working is pushing off some of the ideas that were too much for this book into book two. That actually helped solidify some things in my mind because, you know, this is a proposal. This is my option book for my publisher. I don't know if they are going to want two books. I don't know if they're going to buy them. So I was trying to, you know, okay, I can do this in one. But the story, this story as it is now requires two books. And that's part of being in the traditional publishing system where sometimes you're not in control or complete control of the number of books, like you, you might want to have an eight book series and your publisher might buy two or three from you and see how it goes. And then if those two or three don't sell that well, then the other five are not going to happen from that publisher. And then you can potentially self-publish them. Of course, then you're in a situation where someone else owns the first book. So a lot of the marketing, like there's just a cascading series of events that happen with traditional publishing when you don't know how many books you're going to get in a series. So I have to take a leap of faith that duology, two books, I see publishers are publishing duologies a lot more. You know, we've gone from trilogies to duologies because it's fewer books, it's deeper. And yeah, there's there's a chance that they're not going to want to, but I'm going to put that out of my mind. And hopefully, you know, if they don't want to, someone else will, or I can always self-publish it if I if I need to. But just really... Having found what the what the story requires was really helpful to me because I didn't know at first. Sometimes if I'm not sure of the story, I don't know how long it's going to take me to tell this particular story. And I've been doing standalones the past couple of books, Monsters We Defy, Daughter of the Merciful Deep, which comes out this June, both standalones. Even though I know many of you want a sequel to the Monsters We Defy, I do get those messages very regularly. At the moment, it's a standalone. But it's nice. I've never done a duology, you know? I've done seven books and three books. And well, technically, the angel books are a duology, although they're supposed to be a trilogy. And, you know, we don't don't talk about that that much. Uh, But like a planned duology, which means cliffhanger, unfortunately. 
but it's so juicy. And the story, and I don't actually know right now much about book two. I have a bunch of bullet points of the stuff I pulled, and they're going to figure this out, and they're going to do this, and this is going to happen, and they're going to fix things. <laughs> that's that's book two right now. But just knowing that it should be two, and the story can be told in a complete fashion in two, that was super helpful to me also. So the big takeaways, if you get feedback on your outline, evaluate the feedback, see what you agree with, what you disagree with, what you believe needs to change, do a lot of brainstorming, allow anything and everything to be on the table, except for the things you hold back. There should always be something that you hold back that is the meaning of the story for you. And then just let your mind free to explore all the different avenues, record them, however that makes sense for you to do. Rely on the fact that if you're doing the work, inspiration will come. You will be seeing things, encountering ideas that are going to spark creativity and answer questions that you have, as long as you're open to it and you are putting in the time and effort to do the work on a regular basis. Gather your notes and then tell yourself the story and see how it comes out then. I think so much of writing and creativity is happening on the subconscious level as much conscious work as I do, as many pages and pages of notes that I have and notebooks. I mean, I've got notes in a variety of places because that's how my process works. I know that so much of it is happening behind the scenes. So I, I have the writing time and then I do other things because just like they say when you're working out um, and if you're trying to lose weight, you know, weight loss happens in the kitchen, not in the gym. And working out, progress working out happens on your rest days and your layoffs. You do the work in the gym so that you can rest. And then that's when the muscles rebuild. It's similar to writing. You do the work. I come and sit every morning and do the work. But many of the ideas and inspiration happen at night, in the shower, on a walk, wherever. And yeah, that's, it's a great part of the process. It's just honing that having ways to capture those ideas when you're on the go. And because everyone has a smartphone now, or just about everyone, that's easier than it has been before. Because I wouldn't trust it in a, in a notebook because I'm spilling tea on things and there's water and humidity and I don't know, dogs chewing notebooks. But yeah, that's been my process to get to this point. So my goal next week is to do a shorter version of the synopsis because a nine-page synopsis is probably too long for the purposes I need it for. And then just get ready to start writing these sample chapters, getting them the first draft done of you know the first few chapters of the book and polishing those eventually to submit them as the proposal. In terms of productivity, something that's been helping me has been scheduling deep work days versus days that I'm available for meetings. This is something I'm sure I talked about in years past, probably, but I really put it into practice and have been keeping it in practice. So I use Zcal, which is like a Calendly. I use Calendly also for certain things, but primarily I'm using Zcal for the bulk of my business meetings for both of my businesses, my web development business and my author business. And so when someone's like, oh, hey, you know, we want to meet, do this and this, I'm like, oh, here's my calendar link. Here's my availability. And I'm available for meetings Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Saturday mornings. And that includes podcast recordings, other kinds of meetings, interviews, things like that. So that leaves 
all day Tuesday and all day Thursday available for deep work blocks where I'm not interrupted by things. And that's been really helpful. Uh, you know, if I don't have a meeting on a Monday or a Friday, then I can, well, Fridays are tough. Uh, Mondays, I can do a lot of deep work. Wednesdays, I'm often broken up by some appointments that are regularly scheduled every Wednesday or every other Wednesday. So I, it's fine to sneak another meeting in there. I've got, if I've got two or three meetings on a day, that's fine because the day before and the day after that, I've had just uninterrupted time to do work and I try to protect those. And I highly recommend trying that if you are a person who has a lot of meetings, if it's possible for you, you know, obviously it's not possible for everyone depending on your situation, but as a self-employed person who is largely in control of my schedule, it has been very, very helpful. I can look at my week and doing the weekly planning and saying, okay, if I'm building a website or uh, doing something that requires just a lot of parts of my brain. I do that on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I schedule two to four hour blocks for those things so I can focus. And then if I'm having these meetings, Mondays are usually quiet work-wise, but it's also a good day to to meet. So if I can sneak in another deep work block on a Monday, Fridays, I'm still working out what I can do on a Friday when I'm still a little exhausted. I don't want to necessarily be, although sometimes I can, depending on how the week has gone, doing a lot of like heavy coding because my brain's just tired on Fridays. But I can write in the afternoon sometimes. Often we record Ink and Magic, the podcast I do with Inez Donson on Fridays. In short, having these deep work days, having a meeting scheduler so that I can show people my availability and it you know connects to Google Calendar. So it's always up to date. Everything else that goes on in my life is in Google Calendar. So I feel confident and I've set up the settings. So it's like, okay, do you want more than one meeting a day? I need at least a half an hour between meetings, things like that. And it has, it has really helped and it's helped me be able to schedule my time better. I'm still doing time blocking, especially on weeks when I have a lot to do. So I'm slotting in, okay, if I, even if I do have a meeting, what can I get done before? What can I get done after? If, if it's something that you can work into your life, I, I recommend trying it. A couple of recent media things. I did an interview on the Wish I'd Known for Writers podcast with Jamie Albright and Sarah Rosette. That was a lot of fun. I will link to it in the show notes. Uh, yeah, they have a great podcast and they're talking to lots of writers and it's a good conversation. So if you'd like to hear more of me, you can do it there. Also, I was mentioned in the Washington Post article about romanticy, which was, I heard from several people because I'd seen the article online, but I didn't know it was going to actually be in the printed paper. It was in the Sunday paper. And my mom and my mom's friends were like, oh my gosh, this is in the paper. It's just a little mention of um, the Bliss Wars trilogy books, but very grateful for that. Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches wrote that article and, and she is lovely. And I was happy to see myself in the mainstream media. I'll put a link in the show notes and I have a gift, uh, a gift link if you're not a subscriber. Another interesting thing that's happening on March 2nd and 3rd, there are two different grammar refresher workshops being held at the Muse Writer Center. I'm not teaching them. I'm actually going to take one because my grammar is often atrocious. And I've taken this before many years ago. Uh, this teacher, Linda Cobb, is a grammar wizard. And uh, yeah, so they're online, available. There's limited availability. So link in the show notes. You can go to the-muse.org and check out their classes. They've got lots of classes. I teach there sometimes. I'm not teaching there this semester. 
they're, you know, the muse is one of the reasons why I'm a writer. The class is there. So always happy to support them. And the idea of a grammar refresher course, you know, a couple of hours on a weekend, just to help my poor copy editor, to help me, maybe help my newsletter. Cause I know I often run the footnotes newsletter through pro writing aid to clean up my commas and stuff. Sometimes I forget. And I know that my, my command of punctuation is atrocious. So. That is the thing I'm doing that you might want to consider doing as well. Other announcements. I will be at AwesomeCon in Washington, D.C. It is March 8th through the 10th, 2024. I'm on some great panels with amazing other writers, and we're doing a bunch of signings. So I will link to my schedule there in the show notes. If you're in the area and are interested in a great con in the D.C. Convention Center, then come through. AwesomeCon is, AwesomeCon is a lot of fun. And if you're I'm not a con person, so I can, I have to take it in small bites, but the panels I've done there in, pre- in previous years have been great and the energy is, is good. And even though it's a lot of people there, it does seem to have like a different energy. Like the times I've been to New York Comic Con is just so overwhelming. Awesome Con is overwhelming, but in a smaller way, because it's just less people. I mean, New York Comic Con is, is bananas. If you're a writer uh, in March, there are these March Madness writing sprints. I'm going to be doing a few of them. Other author tubers are hosting sprints. This is put together by Written Melanin, uh, Sam Lockhart, and there'll be some links if you're interested in those. Mine will be Thursday evenings. I might, I've been thinking about doing more writing sprints, you know, I've been talking about this for months and I just haven't pulled the trigger because I'm so busy. <laughs> But it was really fun to do them during NaNoWriMo. It was really fun to do those lives during Preptober. And I do want to do more of that. I just have to. It's been on my list of things to do. Every week I write it down. I'm going to schedule some YouTube lives. Every week I don't schedule them. But one day it will happen again. Mark my words. And if you were looking for a book recommendation, I read The Neighbor Favor by Christina Forrest. It is a really delightful contemporary romance. It is about... It starts off sort of epistolary. Um, these two people correspond via email for a year and they sort of fall for each other. And then one of them cuts off contact because of reasons, romance reasons, I guess. And then they become neighbors. They don't know it, but then one of them finds out. It's really delightful. I enjoyed it. The, um, the One of the characters is uh, a novelist. The other one works in publishing. So there's that aspect to it too. It's one of the internal themes for the heroine is like her family expects her to be black excellence because they're black excellence and she just kind of wants to live her life and do her thing. I, I really enjoyed it and highly recommend it. Also, I finally saw the movie Origin, Ava DuVernay's new new movie. Whew. It sort of destroyed me and put me back together again. It is actually a crime that it was not nominated for multiple Oscars. Like, I don't, I don't understand. I love American fiction and American fiction absolutely deserves to be there. Some of those other ones, of course, I haven't seen them. Some of the ones that I've seen, (laughs) controversial opinion here, I know, and don't at me. I did not like the Barbie movie at all. I was talking to my mom because we went to see Origin together. She was like, the Barbie movie was torture. She had to turn it off. She couldn't finish watching it. And I was like, yeah, it was really difficult. so if you are one of the minuscule amount of people who were not feeling Barbie, we are kindred spirits. If you loved it, I don't want to hear about it. But Origin was such a great film. I hallucinated that Andrew Ellis and Nisi Nash were nominated for 
Academy Awards or some some big award, but they hadn't been. There were some like smaller awards, and they totally deserved to be. So if you haven't seen Origin, if you've been on the fence, bring some tissues. It's incredibly emotional, but so worth it. And it's it's just a different movie. It's like a dramatized documentary, but with so much heart and soul and emotion and grief. But it's about our connections and it's something that you can't really explain because I didn't understand what it was from watching the trailers. I hadn't read Cast by uh, Isabel Wilkerson and I didn't know what I was getting myself into with this movie. I just heard that it was great and it was. And that is it for me for this week. All of my recommendations and notifications are out of the way. Once again, my goal, get this synopsis chopped down, hopefully start writing, start drafting, And once I am in the drafting mode for this, I will probably start working a little bit about a little bit on this other idea that is got a lot of energy because I would like to sell two different things this year, two different book projects. I'm gathering ideas and inspiration for this next idea. And it's really exciting too. For episode show notes and to sign up for the footnotes newsletter and get the show notes in your inbox, go to myimaginaryfriends.net. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video episodes on YouTube. Email me at podcast at lpenelope.com and I would really appreciate a rating or review to help support the show. My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcasts.